0: everybody. It's Lisa here with Misty. We're going to do a brief trigger warning for this episode. Are you loving all these trigger warnings on our it's comedy self podcast? <laughs> um, it's okay because it is a comedy. We are pretty funny in this episode, but I do want to let you know that there's some blatant misogyny and some words uh, about female genitalia. There's some... There's um, fat phobia and uh-huh, there's... Fat bias and fat shaming. Yeah. And there's a lot of reference to abuse and overuse of exercise. And if that's going to be something that's uncomfortable for you, you might want to skip out on this one um, or, you know, listen at your at your discretion.
1: Yeah. So take good
0: care and... It's, it's a real humdinger of a book.
1: It's a humdinger, baby. It's that memoir style. You get it. And if not... We got some fun weekly beefs coming up. You pick and choose. You do you. Love you guys. <laughs> bum 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 bum.
0: Bum 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 bum. Bum 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 Welcome back everybody. This is Go Help Yourself, a comedy self-help podcast <laughs> to make life suck less. I'm Lisa Linky. I'm sitting across from Misty Stinnett. Hi. And we are here to bring you another review of a self-help podcast book each week we tell you the tips the tricks the hots the knots the yays the boos the ins the outs the ups the downs all the good juicy stuff the overview that's right and we do it with such clarity and comedy Mm. no meandering no never any meander nary a meander among it um so that you don't have to read the book all right if you, you can, don't want to. you don't want to but let me tell you you may love what you hear and go buy it because we can't cover everything in this hour um, and you might want to support the author even if you did feel like we covered everything in this hour thank you um, but at the very least you'll get the main points of the book and you'll be able to sound like a true Asshole know-it-all at a party. Yeah. Also, we cuss. Yeah. Um, and you'll be able to say to people who have said, you need help, I got some. Mm-hmm.
1: Our point is to make you bougier, yeah. harder to talk to, yeah. more insufferable. Deaf.
0: You know? Deaf. All
1: of the things that totes we're all—we um, all like to pretend we know better than everyone else, mm-hmm. but this time you really will. And you let me tell will. you— People love that quality. They in a fucking person. love it.
0: If your inner self is a Hermione, we're here to support you. Oh, um wow. great. Okay, so that's kind of the main everything that we need to cover, I believe. Yes. Um, and so now I'm turning it over to Misty, who's brought in a special dishel for us today. We're
1: gonna dive right in because this is an action-packed buke that I've brought to you today. This week, everyone, we are doing the New York Times bestseller. Can't Hurt Me, Master Your Mind and Defy the Odds by David
0: Gaggins. Now, we have been recommended this book several times.
1: We have. And actually, the first person to recommend this book to me was my friend Kevin. Mm -hmm. And it was in December... And this book was published in December 2018. So it was like an instant mm-hmm, bestseller. Mm-hmm. Uh, the hardcover is $17.73. Paperback is $16.19. The Kindle is $7.99. The audiobook is $7.48 or one credit, which is what I paid. And by the way, a fucking credit on Audible is $15. So why am I paying for for credits on Audible? That are twice as much as what I could just buy the book for. I don't I don't understand.
0: Yeah. And can I talk about the cover?
1: Oh yeah. And by the way, it's on the Overdrive app for free, at least
0: for my library. Mm-hmm. But there's a very long wait list. So this is an interesting cover. Yes. It's uh Can't Hurt Me in big uh, goldish tone letters. Mm-hmm. Um and a man in his full navy whites. Yeah. Is uh standing there very handsome. He's a bald African American mm-hmm. man staring right at me. Um At he says, can't hurt me, but I feel like he could hurt me. Oh, yeah. It says, master your mind and defy the odds. And behind him, in like half transparency, I'm assuming is a larger version of him.
1: Yeah, so it's um, a faded image of himself before he joined the Navy SEALs and the armed forces. Um, and it's when he uh, was over 100 pounds heavier and at a low point in his life, which he really describes in the book. Okay. So really it's... It's this, uh, his former self, like the shadow of his former self is behind him in the
0: the book, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I already have some issues with it, but okay. Oh, for sure. So mm-hmm. it's it's
1: meant to be um, uh, like a transformative image mm-hmm. already of the person he used to be, mm-hmm. not just physically, but mentally, and mm-hmm. then the, the man he is now. Mm-hmm. So about the author, this is from DavidGoggins.com, and okay. that's David, and then G-O-G-G-I-N-S.com. David Goggins is a retired Navy SEAL and is the only member of the U.S. Armed Forces to complete SEAL training, including two hell weeks, the U.S., excuse me, the U.S. Army Ranger School. Holy shit. Yep. Where he graduated as enlisted honor man. Holy shit. And Air Force Tactical Air Controller training. Whoa. Yeah.
0: He just needs to be in the Peace Corps and he'll make a—
1: (laughs) Dude, dude. Dude. An accomplished endurance athlete, Goggins has completed over 60 ultra-marathons, triathlons, and ultra-triathlons, setting new course records and regularly placing in the top five.
0: Somebody has an inferiority complex. Mm, He does. He
1: will get into this. He once held the Guinness World Record for pull-ups, completing 4,030 in 17 hours, and he's a sought-after public speaker. Over the years, he's shared his story with hundreds of thousands of students across the country, numerous professional sports teams and the staff at fortune 500 companies all of the awards medals accolades and magazine
0: articles mean nothing to david oh Again, i'm sure that's why he wanted from, to be in the guinness book of world records this
1: is from his um i
0: already have a problem with this man it,
1: but he says over and over it's about just beating himself so again this is davidgoggins.com it says that's not why he does what he does although David has raised a lot of money and awareness for the special operations warrior foundation none of this recognition is relevant to him he's not trying to be number one in the world he's not interested in how many races he's run he doesn't keep track of the miles he's gone there's no scoreboard instead it's all about achieving his personal best and pushing himself
0: well past his comfort zone Lisa's dying like her she's laughing her head is in her hands it's ridiculous <clears throat> to say it's not about the thing but I invited the guinness book of world records to ensure that i was number one yeah and he constantly does want to be the best but for him it's not about
1: external validation it's about beating but why the guinness book okay i'm done i'm done bye bye david chooses to run the toughest races and put himself through some of the hardest military training programs in the country for no other reason than to see what he's made of for him physical and mental suffering are a journey of self-discovery no other experience makes him feel more clear focused and alive so first impressions, we've already talked about the Kiever. It
0: is 364 pages. Um, and when I first – Why picked- not 3,000? Why not see what the readers are made of? <laughs> sorry. Ooh, sorry. I'm saucy. I'm saucy and I'm fine with it. <laughs> Did you say <laughs> – Did you <laughs> – on our last mini-sode, we talked about not saying I'm sorry, and Lisa just
1: went the whole journey. And I did. I'm sorry, I'm saucy, and I'm fine with it. Yeah. So she's not sorry. I am not sorry. Okay, listen. The two biggest things that hit me when I first started listening to this book— Is it read by him? —is that David credits his ghostwriter— Oh, thank you. So his ghostwriter is a guy named Adam Skolnick. And not only does he credit Adam, Adam is the narrator of the audiobook. And I thought that was really
0: cool. So Adam ne- Adam credited Skolnick. himself? Yeah, basically.
1: <laughs> um, but it's cool because what I really liked about this audiobook is that you get a peek into the whole process. Like they say, okay, here's what I'll say first. This audiobook is part book and part podcast, which is something I've never come across before. So they'll read a chapter of the book and then interject with stories and questions and banter at the end or sometimes in the middle. That's not included in the book? I like don't in the know book. because I only listen to the audiobook. So unless there's a transcript, probably not. Okay. So this will be great for someone who is a fan of David Goggins and wants more of his like personal insight because... Adam reads this very well thought out, you know, narrative. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then David David hops in and is like, yeah, let me tell you something about that race. So here's what I was thinking. So when I said this in the book, that's what I meant. But it's cool because you hear that they worked together for a year. You hear them being like, all right, we're on day four mm-hmm. of this five day recording schedule. And it's it's four in the morning. So it was a cool look inside Super that. Super fun. Um, but for me, the podcasty part did not add a lot of extra insight. Okay. It was just like more anecdotes, right? Also, my God, you guys, the audiobook, especially with the podcast component, is 13 hours and 38 minutes That's long. That's a seven
0: habits of highly effective people. Link. It
1: is, and somehow was harder to get through.
0: Yeah. Right.
1: Okay, So here's a teaser about the book from Amazon.com. Teaser. For David Goggins, childhood was a nightmare. Poverty, prejudice, and physical abuse colored his days and haunted his nights. But through self-discipline, mental toughness, and hard work, Goggins transformed himself from a depressed, overweight young man with no future into a U.S. Armed Forces icon and one of the world's top endurance athletes. The only man in history to complete elite training as a Navy SEAL, Army Ranger, and Air Force tactical air controller, he went on to set records in numerous and endurance events, inspiring Outside Magazine to name him the fittest real man in America. In Can't Hurt Me, he shares his astonishing life story and reveals that most of us tap into only 40% of our capabilities. Goggins calls this the the 40% rule, and his story illuminates a path that anyone can follow to push past pain, demolish fear, and reach their full potential. So... One of the very first pages in the books is this warning order written to you by David Goggins. I'm showing Lisa an image. Um, And note Lisa's face. It says, task organization, solo mission. Situation, you are in danger of living a life so comfortable and soft that you will die without ever realizing your true potential.
0: Oh, my God. Mission,
1: to unshackle your mind. Ditch the victim's mentality. Oh, Lisa pushed her mic away. She's done. She's scooted lower in her seat. Oh, she's got her skeptical eyes on. Oh, she's not blinking. All right, we're going to keep going. (laughs) Mission, to unshackle your mind, ditch the victim's mentality forever. Own all all aspects of your life completely. Build an unbreakable foundation. Execution. Read this cover to cover. Study the techniques within. Accept all 10 challenges. Repeat. Repetition will callous your mind. If you do your job to the best of your ability, this will hurt. This mission is not about making yourself feel better. This mission is about being better and having a greater impact on the world. Don't stop when you are tired. Stop when you are done. Classified. This is the origin story of a hero. The hero is you. By command of David Goggins, rank and service, chief, U.S. Navy SEALs, retired. Okay? So, as far as the structure goes, he has a challenge that he gives the reader at the end of each memoir style chapter. So, I'm going to give you a very brief overview of each chapter and the challenge that comes after. You're welcome. And we're going to hopefully condense this from 13 hours and 38 minutes into like a tight 59. Chapter number one. Y-
0: you do need your microphone. I don't want to participate in this. I'm already so mad at it. Say that again? I don't want to participate in this. I'm already so mad at Art, it. Why are you mad? This is toxic masculinity yeah. at its finest. Oh, yeah. Oh, and yeah. It's, it's framed in a a holier-than-thou, a, a, a lamplight of... Um, overcoming uh, victimhood and service to nation, and there's, I, I I'm angry. I am angry at the at the mere outset of it.
1: It's interesting. I actually did not get the sense of the holier than
0: thou aspect, but everything else you're saying, I agree with. To tell someone that they need to, they need to be like him and that it's going to hurt, and they never can stop. You know what? Fuck you. He's already coming. And it, the this is what makes me mad. Uh, the, oh, my God, Misty. Here's a person we've been <laughs> craving for a male, uh, uh, for a person of color, yeah. for a person who didn't come from privilege. Mm-hmm. And the first thing he does is, like, you need to experience pain. You yeah. need to be uncomfortable. Yeah. Is this book written for anybody who is... Um, who is not able-bodied. Is this book written for, is it going to reach, I'm so fucking mad right now. I'm, I'm yeah. disappointed. Yeah. Underneath the anger yeah. is disappointment. And it's just, it's increasing toxic masculinity. From the outset, it's absolutely and increasing toxic pissed. masculinity. And, I'm fucking and pissed.
1: I will say this up front. Sorry, we're married. I keep touching. We're you ma- Yeah, my favorite joke, uh you guys, is whenever you accidentally touch someone's like leg under I'm a table, you go, "We're married out. now." i'm Stretching my legs out. Is that okay?
0: <laughs> I love it. Thank you. um Thank you for giving me consent. See, yeah, I'm polite. I'm not toxically masculine.
1: No, and they're. Uh, is a lot of misogynistic language in this book. It's constant talk of don't be a pussy,
0: don't let your vagina Misty, get shaved." I need a trigger warning before books like this. Oh,
1: I'm sorry, I didn't
0: know. Well, I'm telling you now. <laughs> Thank you, you do I just triggered. discovered this. I do, because... Fuck this fucking publisher mm-hmm. and fuck this guy. Congratulations to him, mm-hmm. but already the assumption is you're not okay if you're at a heavier weight. You're not okay if you're not physically at your top form. He
1: actually doesn't say like you have to lose weight to be happy but or look anything at the imagery like that. On the front of the yeah, book. but I'll tell you what, the Navy SEALs have a maximum weight threshold that you can be at, and he was above it, and that's why he lost the weight. Look, that's great, so that he
0: can join the Navy. The, the Navy SEALs. The imagery on the book yeah. is that your best self is
1: smaller, right? Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're going to make it through. All right. Buckle in. All right. Chapter number one. I should have been a, a statistic. That's right. This is all about David's childhood and the abuse he suffered at the hands of his father. And it's really descriptive. Okay. It's really hard. And he also talks about... So it's
0: unflinching. He does not oh, sugarcoat it.
1: He does not sugarcoat it. Uh, you know, do not read this book if this is some... if. Matt Sav is is so you're so mad. Fired.
0: Sav is so mad about this book and I am in agreement, He just with Sav. threw his
1: own, he threw his recording equipment on the ground. <laughs> um no, Sam, I, are you okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah, go. and actually I would have appreciated a trigger warning for the book itself. Yeah. Because if you have experienced a lot of abuse, like he talks about how his dad like pulled out a gun a few times and and all of these terrible beatings he went through and also a horrible incident he witnessed when he was on a bus in school it was so hard to hear but something he talks about in that chapter is like you can't ignore things that are hard to hear and you shouldn't look away from things that make you uncomfortable because it's the reality of the situation well, right he has
0: perfect vision and perfect hearing according yeah to well say. you know
1: it's like chanel miller says and know my name like don't Go away from things that are hard to hear, like sexual assault. Maybe look closer and look at the people involved. When you're in ready. Kind of when you're ready. When you're ready. And a trigger warning is nice. So I have to tell you, the first, like, couple hours of the book are about oh this God. abuse. It's a lot. So, um, so his mom was finally able to leave him. Mm-hmm. And move away with him and his older brother. But his older brother um, went back and decided to stay with his dad. And Mm -hmm. it was this big rift for them for For a really long time. And they did not make that up until they were adults. Yeah, like in their 30s. So challenge number one at the end of this chapter – What was your bad hand? What kind of bullshit did you contend with growing up? Were you beaten, abused, bullied? Did you ever feel insecure? Maybe your limited factor is that you grew up so supported and comfortable you never pushed yourself. What are the current factors limiting your growth and success? Is someone standing in your way at work or school? Are you underappreciated and overlooked for opportunities? What are the long odds you're up against right now? Are you standing in your own way? Break out your journal. If you don't have one, buy one or start one on your laptop, tablet, or in the Notes app on your smartphone and write them all out in minute detail. Don't be bland with this assignment. Use your story, this list of excuses, these very good reasons why you shouldn't amount to a damn thing to fuel your ultimate success. Take inventory.
0: So taking inventory Mm -hmm. is part of AA or part of any 12-step program. Okay. So there's definite value in that. I'm I'm a I like this exercise. Mm-hmm. I'm a little I'm struggling a little bit with the fact that he's like calls them excuses uh-huh. and also very good reasons. Do you know what I mean? Like yep. I see what he's trying to do, but also it's I think he's saying excuses
1: take like take inventory of any excuses you have and also very good reasons that you have. Like I think he's saying there t-
0: I I heard him yeah. I heard, to me I yeah. read that as like he's saying you called an excuse And it also could be a very good reason. Yeah. So, okay, great.
1: Yeah. And, you know, in voice class, an exercise they had us do is write down, like, what having certain narratives gets you. Like, Mm -hmm. you saying, like, oh, like, me being like, oh, an actor being like, oh, well, I'm not tall enough to be a leading man. Mm -hmm. You know, whatever that you feel like, that thing's out of your control, it's like, well, that actually lets you stay comfortable Donald when you Cruz, don't very book. Short. Yeah, when you don't book these roles, so there is yeah. power in going. What's my story? What am I getting yeah, out of it? I don't Da-da-da-da. disagree. Yeah. I don't disagree. And that's that's kind of indicative of the entire book because, like, the chapters I would find really problematic, and then he'd say something at the end that like amended what I just heard, or and just it was like, confusing. It's no duh, right? Like,
0: take inventory. Okay. Yeah, or it was just like, oh, oh. Okay. Okay, so to Uh, me what this sounds like is a publisher who heard about this guy and was like, we need a book from this guy. Had a ghostwriter who was like, tell me about your life and then tell me we'll cobble together 10 because that's a nice round number. Yeah. um, Things that you you think you did that helped you and then we'll tie it together. You
1: know what else is confusing is he talks about how much he got for the book deal in the middle. He talks about what he got paid as a Navy SEAL. He talks about his ghostwriter, $375,000. Was the book deal? Was the book deal. But- Here's what I then am confused about. I read somewhere that he self-published. And at the end of this, like, chat, at the end of the, the Somebody end bought of audiobook, it, after it says, yeah, may- maybe that's what it is. Because at the end, it's like copyright. David Goggins like built not born you know so I I'm confused so he but he's he said and then he got $375,000 so he
0: wrote that. it yeah that's probably what happened right he, he wasn't given an advance but he says
1: so knowing I was getting that much for the book deal I wanted to really put my full story into it so maybe so he confusing. wrote an earlier
0: version without a ghostwriter
1: yeah maybe so yeah yeah so chapter two, truth hurts. So David endured a lot of racism and hardship and mm-hmm. fell behind in school. He found that he was able to get by if he cheated like crazy, mm-hmm. and it worked for a really long time. Until finally, he got a letter from the school that said he was in danger of not graduating if he didn't get his act together. So by this point, he had heard about the pararescue teams in the air force, and he had in the air force, and he had a dream to join. So he cleaned up his act, started studying really hard, like he had like a third grade reading level. Yeah. And he had to copy textbook pages by hand over and over until he finally understood the information and his reading comprehension comprehension went up.
0: So, so I just want to point yeah. out that this is something that a lot of people don't have. So it wasn't that he had a learning disability. Yeah. Uh, he may have, but at some point he was able to teach himself, which a lot of people don't have the capability to.
1: Right. And he also says like – there was nothing special about what he did. It was grueling. It was awful. He had to find ways That's right.
0: to do this. And so if somebody has a learning disability that goes undiagnosed or right. has a learning disability right. that is diagnosed but right. isn't in a school system that can afford get getting this student um, – the, the, help the resources needs. and help that they need, then they're need. not going to be able to that's to right. bridge this gap. And yeah. I also want to say he had the fortitude to do it. So yeah. some people don't have that grit, aren't taught that grit.
1: Right. And that's basically what this book is about is like a roadmap for grit, essentially a really misguided and extreme one, in my opinion, but we'll get there.
0: Because some people do have like an inner fortitude and some people have to develop it. Yeah. So it sounds like he had an inner fortitude.
1: Yes. And it was basically born from wild insecurity, hardship, rage at his father for the abuse he faced. You know, because he could take all the beatings he wanted, but when he saw his mom getting beaten, right. you know what I mean? Right. So he's got this deep well of fuel. That's so, so interesting. So he says living with purpose, mm-hmm. having this goal of pararescue team mm-hmm. changed everything for him. So he stopped wearing baggy clothes, he shaved his face and scalp every night, and started this ritual uh, called the accountability mirror. So he would set goals, write them on post-it notes and tag them to the dirty mirror in his bathroom each day to hold himself accountable. At first the goals involved small things like shaping up his appearance and accomplishing all his chores without having to be asked because
0: he's a teenager does at this he point. you say how he figured this out? Like how he started doing this or it's literally like No, he a does. Light he does.
1: Like he basically like would look at himself in the mirror because the mirror he felt like the mirror didn't lie to him like he could think all these things about himself but when he looked in the mirror and saw this like punk kid who had deep circles underneath his eyes and wasn't amounting to much in this dirty bathroom mirror and he knew that every single
0: day he'd have to face himself in the mirror he started being like okay fuck it i'm just gonna like yeah stick a post-it note up there uh, uh, that's great i guess what i'm saying is there's there's something that happens because many people look themselves in the mirror and Mm -hmm. don't know how to make that connection to here. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So that's the piece that I'm just like, wow, that's, he was very luck, whatever it is you know that he had that and was able to kind of yeah. execute on that yeah well, did somebody teach him did somebody tell no, him
1: no no he, he it sounded to me from He's, his memory. he was very really smart. on his own he sounds very smart well and also like at that point like his mom was working a ton of jobs and they were on welfare and barely making ends meet and he felt like he didn't have her he didn't have anybody he was this rebel you know so finally he was like the only person who's going to hold myself accountable is me
0: yeah so, so that's where it came I just from. want to acknowledge yeah. that he is incredibly smart yeah. and gifted in a sense that nobody really seemed to teach him how to, yeah. set goals. Yeah, and he figured it out on his own. Yeah, that's brilliant. But
1: he also is like, oh, I only figured this out after I cheated all through middle school listen, and high he, school. He and figured out how yeah. to
0: survive, yeah. and then when that wasn't working, and he needed to make the yeah. leap, he was able to do that, which yeah. is incredible. Which
1: he would say is born out of necessity. You know what I mean? Like yeah, he but was some like, okay,
0: don't have the mental capacity to do that
1: for sure, Lisa. Yeah.
0: I'm just we're all at with him. you. I'm I mad. hear
1: you, baby. I'm mad but also like there's something innate in him that drove him yeah. to be this huge person we are. So we're seeing the seeds of that, right? Yeah. I so guess- yeah, so what you're saying is accurate. He's uncommon.
0: Yes. Right? Yes. And so my problem, as we know, is that he's like, just do these 10 things. Totally. No, sir. Okay, keep going. Yeah, but he's saying, this worked for
1: me. Here's If you don't have that in you and you're not coming up with it, here's my thing that I did. So he is sharing it. So challenge number two, it's time to come eyeball to eyeball with yourself and get raw and real. This is not a self-love tactic. You can't fluff it. Don't massage your ego. This is about abolishing the ego and taking the first step toward becoming the real you. He says, you have to be brutally honest with yourself. He tacked Post-it notes of his accountability mirror, and he asks us to do the same. Digital devices don't work. Write all your insecurities, dreams, and goals on Post-its and tag them up to your mirror. If you need more education, remind yourself that you need to start working your ass off because you aren't smart enough. Period. Point blank. If you look in the mirror and see someone who is obviously overweight, and here's, here's where the language gets really problematic, trigger warning, that means you're fucking fat. Own it. It's okay to be unkind with yourself in these moments because we need thicker skin to improve in life. So uh, and that's the thing is like he, he touts a lot of this stuff like don't be a pussy. Don't let your vagina get chafed with blah, blah, blah. And it's like that's not but that's not a healthy way of going about it. You know what I mean? That's not brutal honesty may have worked for him. But where's self-love? Like where does self-love come into this? So he says, you need to be truthful with yourself about where you are and the necessary steps it will take to achieve those goals day by day. Each step, each necessary point of self-improvement should be written as its own note. That means you have to do some research and break it all down. For example, if you're trying to lose 40 pounds, your first po- post-it note may be to lose two pounds in the first week. Once that goal is achieved, remove the note and post the next goal until your ultimate goal is realized. Lease.
0: I'm not going to say anything.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it's the same thing we're seeing in a lot of these books, right? It's the same thing. So chapter three,
0: the impossible task. No, it's actually worse than what we're seeing in the other books. I'm going to say that. Okay. He is not a physician. He is not a nutritionist. He is not a dietitian. No. Two pounds a week is never a sustainable weight goal. Mm. That person is going to regain weight. That's a terrible It's a terrible thing to say to somebody. Yeah. When he lost weight, he was at an age where, he, and he's a man, which is a different uh, mm-hmm. thing. Uh, and uh, w- there is evidence, there is scientific evidence that says that shaming is not an effective way to encourage weight loss. Could not agree with you. On life. top of it. Um, I think this is my this proves my point about the cover. Yeah. It isn't about that he needed to lose weight to um uh to just join that. That that wasn't his only drive. And if he really just he has a val he has a value set around people of higher weight. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And yeah. I I why I am desperate for self-help books from different voices. Mm -hmm. And this is a horrible step in the opposite direction.
1: I agree. And what you will hear over the next couple sections is this man basically destroyed his body over – and over This person over. has a
0: psychosis. Oh,
1: yeah. Oh, 100%. He needs therapy like no one i ever heard. And I'm a publisher heard. is
0: like, this is an opportunity to make money and mm-hmm. sell a, a version of life that is not sustainable for the average person yeah. and isn't healthy. It, yeah. So I'm here's, so here's what nasty. you're going to hear. Here's
1: what you're going to hear. He ran marathons on broken legs. Right? He did... All he gets r- paid ten
0: dollars to $50,000 to go and talk to corporations about hurting yourself. He
1: ran 100 miles in less than 24 hours with no training. He went into kidney failure until he was pissing blood and still continued to run on that track with no nutritional training, nothing. Like, he literally destroys his body over and over. So he is not a person to look up to as a role model of how Who to do you things. This? I'll look it up. Oh, yeah. We'll look it up. So chapter three, The Impossible Task. So David finally made it into the Air Force training program after high school mm-hmm. and it was here that he had to really confront his weaknesses for the first time. He had to pass an intense swimming training course to become a para man, but he was a terrible swimmer and afraid of the water. So even though he was passing, David's weakness in swimming took a mental toll on him and he started thinking that the instructors were unfairly targeting him for being the only black recruit in the unit. Mm-hmm. This gave him sleepless nights as he was filled with rage and anger. During the sixth Week of the water confidence program, David was pulled out of the training on medical grounds. The military medics had found out that he had the sickle cell trait, which was believed at the time to increase the risk of sudden exercise related death due to cardiac arrest. So the military did not want him to die during the evaluation, and he was pulled out of this intensive swim training on medical grounds for further analysis. So this was a relief to David, but he pretended to be upset nonetheless. When David was cleared to go back to training, he learned he'd have to do the water confidence program all over again. Oh, my God. And, and he's terrified, terrified of the water. So, But the idea of starting over was too torturous for him, and he decided to quit using the sickle cell trait as an excuse
0: to get out. Oh, po- I was ready for you to be like, so he drowned himself in his bathtub Not yet. Times. He's not that
1: person yet. So he actually started as this, like, cheater, quitter, mm-hmm. victim mentality Chip on his shoulder person, so upon leaving the military, David bounced from one low-paying job to the next. He cleaned a dozen restaurants at night as he exterminated rats, cockroaches, and other bugs. Like he, he was living in hell. Yeah. Um. He gained a lot of weight and became ashamed about who he was and his station in life. It was a documentary about the SEALs that jolted David back to reality. The SEALs represented the opposite of what he had become. They were driven and did not cower at challenges but faced them head on. So David called a ton of recruitment stations in the country and said, hey, I want to join the SEALs. But they all turned him down because most of them did not like the fact that he had previously undergone military training and quit. Yeah. So they were looking for fresh recruits. One of the uh, recruitment stations requested to see him in person. And when he arrived, the officials there just laughed because he was 300 pounds and they knew that he couldn't make the like rigorous mm-hmm. training because the weight caught of then for men was 191 pounds. Mm-hmm. Um David's last hope was this one recruiter who told him that he'd give him a shot if he could make the mandatory weight threshold and get the necessary scores on the ASVAB, which is this uh, knowledge test, within mm-hmm. the next three months. Because you have to, like, get a certain score on engineering and comprehension and et cetera. So David trained in – I'm sorry. You said in the next three
0: months? Three months. So he lost 100 pounds in three months. He lost
1: 106 pounds in three months. And it's a nightmare. And he had he took the test twice, which was the max he could get. And he got the minimum score needed on his second time. So like he, he basically almost didn't make it into the SEALs a bunch of times. So when he starts to describe what he did to lose this weight, it's insane. It's not healthy. It's not okay. I don't know how his body even survived because you can't go from being sedentary and not being able to like walk a block to like – running three hours a day and pushing yourself that way, right? So, don't well, follow that regimen. He was like
0: cleaning all those things at night, but he wasn't like an no. But active. he
1: he describes how he would wake up and he would go get a chocolate milkshake for breakfast, and then he'd stop and eat like a whole pack of donuts, and he'd go throughout his day, and he'd come home and he'd sit, and it basically was just like lugging equipment around and spraying, you know. But he he says he couldn't run a quarter of a mile, and suddenly he's like studying fourteen hours a day and only eating like a quarter of a chicken breast, and it's just really really disordered way. We should do a trigger this. warning on this episode. Let's do it. Mm-hmm. Let's record one up top. Yep. We got it. Um, thank you. I've been so in my notes. I didn't even think about that. That's why I love you. So challenge number three, the first step on the journey toward a calloused mind, which is this phrase he keeps using, is stepping outside of your comfort zone on a regular basis. Dig out your journal again and write down all the things you don't like to do or that make you uncomfortable, especially those things you know are good for you. Now go do one of them and do it again.
0: I don't like hitting myself over the head with a frying pan.
1: We'll do it. Okay. It, but you got to know it's good for you. Okay. Okay. This is this is your brain. This is your brain on drugs. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that, I Rachel do. Lee Cook? Commercial, thank you. Uh, doing things, even small things, that make you uncomfortable will help make you strong. The more often you get uncomfortable, the stronger you'll become, and sooner you'll develop a more productive, can-do dialogue with yourself in stressful situations. So again, what he tends to do is describe these wildly unhealthy and extreme ways about going about anything. And then at the end of the chapter, only in the Q&A with his ghostwriter will he be like, dude, what I did was crazy. Don't do that. But it seems like he's glorifying it the entire chapter. Yeah. So it's really whiplashy. Okay, Chapter four, taking souls. So this is all about David's experience during Hell Week and the Navy SEALs training program where the vast majority of recruits drop out. So he explains it in English excruciating detail. So if you want to hear about Hell Week, read this chapter for yourself. So he gets most of the way through the first Hell Week uh, of his career, but he gets sent home with a terrible case of pneumonia. Mm -hmm. He has to recover and start all over again. Mm -hmm. So uh, in this chapter, he coins the term taking souls and he coined that after motivating himself to push him and his team harder as a means of getting inside his instructors' heads because the instructors are trying to fuck with you the whole time. He says that everything is a mind game. SEAL training is a mind game and people don't realize the gaming part in it until it's too late and they quit. So what's the mind game? The mind game is that all pain eventually ends. And when you can understand understand that, it then becomes only a matter of enduring long enough. Beating them with excellence, delivering what they thought was impossible, and showing yourself at your best while they are at their worst is what Goggins refers to as taking their soul. Mm -hmm. So he writes Taking souls is a ticket to finding your own reserve power and riding a second wind. It's the tool you can call upon to win any competition or overcome every life obstacle. This is a tactic for you to be your best when duty calls. It's a mind game you're playing on yourself. Taking someone's soul means you've gained a tactical advantage.
0: Life is all about looking for tactical advantages. See, I have a thing I just call energy as a choice. Yeah, I don't have to take anybody's soul to do it.
1: You don't. And it's that kind of thing where it's like, <laughs> Toxic, oh, the thing I,
0: so bad. Climate, hey. And
1: the thing that I kept thinking of is like, when I would be at track practice, like all I would try to do is just like, be a little bit faster than the person in front of me. And I kind of take their soul by beating them in that race. Right. But again, that that's this really competitive, like. And look, uh, that worked for him. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. That's it. I know. Yeah. So challenge number four from this chapter, choose any competitive situation that you're in right now. Who is your opponent? The guy
0: driving next to me.
1: (laughs) Is it your teacher or coach, your boss, an unruly client? No matter how they're treating you, there is one way to to not only earn their respect, but turn the tables excellence. I want to
0: make this guy read Kyle Gray's Raise Your Vibration (laughs) (laughs) and have him not view the world as an opponent.
1: Oh, 100%. And he talks about... That towards the end of the book about how he, it's so interesting because he really spends so much time glorifying all of these experiences and saying that's, you got to do extreme pain. He married a woman whose dad called him a racial slur when they were younger. He ended up marrying her. Then they got divorced. Then they got married again. She became pregnant. He's taking her soul. Yep. Then... He got divorced again, so divorced twice from the same woman. Then he had another wife. Then they got divorced. And then he alludes to another fiancé.
0: I mean, I guess I just don't understand why he's not committing to his marriage the way he's committing to a fucking ultramarathon. Yeah,
1: and also, so finally, toward, so he spends all this time glorifying what I think are wildly unhealthy ways of going about things and mentalities, etc. And then... Then at the end of the chapters, so he'll be like, but don't do what I did. And then finally at the end of the book. That's he ag- just for
0: legal reasons. Finally
1: at the end of the book, he acknowledges this was a really lonely and hard path. Jesus
0: Christ. I'm so mad at this guy. I Yes, <clears throat> it's Lionheart Publishing. Not very well known.
1: Okay. Oh, yeah, that's right. Lionheart Publishing. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, they're doing enough to give him, you mm-hmm. know, a third of a million dollars. So challenge number four, choose any competitive situation you're in. And choose excellence. That may mean acing an exam, crafting an ideal proposal, or smashing a sales goal. Whatever it is, I want you to work harder on that project or in that class than you have ever done before. Do everything exactly as they ask, and whatever standard they set is an ideal outcome,
0: you should be aiming to surpass that. I wish he would have chosen his wife as his opponent. (laughs) Oh, my God. Sounds like he did. But he didn't, because he didn't do whatever they asked.
1: Right. right. Oh, Hmm. shit. Thank you. Chapter 5, Armored Mind. So at this point, David finally gets all the way through Hell Week. Okay. Congrats. So he was kicked out like halfway through his He's first an official time. Official
0: Navy SEAL.
1: But he but he ends up with a knee injury at the end. No, cause you do Hell Week and once you get through Hell Week, you have five more months of training before you become a SEAL.
0: You have the opportunity to become a
1: SEAL. Yeah. But you can't unless you pass Hell Week, which most people don't. But he ends up with a knee injury at the end, and there are still months of SEAL training left to go, and he ends up being sent home again. So he takes time to recover, and now he has to start all the way over at week one, day
0: one, for the third time. But not Hell Week. Yes. They won't – he finished Hell Week. It doesn't matter. You go right from Hell Week into training with yeah, that Yeah, because cohort. if you
1: can't make it through the whole program, you're not fit to be a SEAL period. Well, he likes to do things the hard way.
0: But this is the last
1: time the SEALs will even let him attempt. It's a three-strike situation. And his personal stakes are raised because as he was healing, he and his ex-wife started sleeping together again, and she became pregnant. And he realized he didn't want to be with her, and now this baby was on the way. I know. I know. So now he has a family to worry about. His knee is still super fucked up from the last time. Because, like, he just runs on, like, like, free-floating kneecaps. You know, like, like it's insane. So somehow he makes it through the grueling training. And this time, a classmate of his even died during the training. Cool. Mm-hmm. Right? So,
0: challenge number five. Years in Afghanistan.
1: La, 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 la. <laughs> I love that song. Thank you. My favorite bedtime story. Mm -hmm. Challenge number five. Rather than focusing on bullshit you cannot change, imagine visualizing the things you can. Choose any obstacle your way or set a new goal and visualize overcoming or achieving it. So a lot of people tend to visualize success, but he would sit there and visualize any obstacle that might come up in different ways around it, which I thought was cool. Fine. Paint... uh, Painting a picture of what my success looks and feels like. I'll think about it every day, and that feeling propels me forward when I'm training, competing, or taking on any task I choose. Mm, That's like Rachel Hollis with her bag, the big uh, Louis Vuitton bag she bought. Just buy an Audi, Jensen Mm Charon. You must also visualize the challenges that are likely to arise and determine how you will attack those problems when they do. That way you can be as prepared as possible on the journey. Visualization will never compensate for work undone you
0: cannot visualize lies. Visualization will never compensate for work undone.
1: Yeah. Okay, I like that. Yeah, I do too. Chapter 6, it's not about a trophy. Isn't it though? So, here's the first sentence of my notes. So this is so dumb. <laughs> David <laughs> Lay decides it on me. David decides to enter a race called the San Diego 1 Day.
0: I'm assuming he made it through, he made it through the third. He did on the okay, third right, time. Right, okay, yeah. Great.
1: But his knee was, like, so fucked up, and that's where he ran on broken legs. And uh, then he
0: continued through five months of training on injury.
1: Yeah, and literally a, ran on broken legs. To become a Navy SEAL. Yeah. Got it, got it. And got it. that's when he was like, I realize you can push past it. And it's like, it's everything he does is so short-sighted and so risky because it's like, okay, so maybe, you pass, maybe you'll pass this training, but if you fuck up your legs permanently from running on broken legs, like, both of his shins had fractures are you actually going to be in the field successfully as a Navy SEAL? You yeah. know,
0: anyway. He just wants the credit. <laughs> so
1: he just, deci- right? It's not about a trophy. So he decides to enter this race called the San Diego One Day. It's a hundred mile race in 24 hours with absolutely No fucking training. None. He nearly destroys himself. He goes into kidney failure. He literally pees and poops himself multiple times. He throws up half a dozen times and he destroys his body. All he was eating was like a protein shake and some like Ritz crackers.
0: What a fucking dumbass. No,
1: he and he says it. He's like, I'm so fucking dumb. He was told to go to the emergency room after. And at this point, his wife is a nurse. It's a new wife. But he refused. I hate him. He wanted to feel the pain and suffering because he felt it was his trophy and that he'd earned it. What? So it was during this race that he realized that the real battle was within his own mind against himself. So he's a little Louise Hay. I guess he can so.
0: Think it is, he can think his way out of it.
1: I guess so. He says uh, the human body can withstand and accomplish a hell of a lot more than most of us think possible, and it all begins and ends in the mind.
0: I'm going to tell <sighs> you on the same spectrum. A different version, but on the same.
1: Yeah, for sure. He also introduces the concept of the cookie jar. Before eating a cookie as a child, Goggins always took the time to admire it first as a way of practicing gratitude. Today, the cookie jar is a concept he employs whenever he needs a reminder of who he is and what he's capable of. In his own words... We all have a cookie jar inside us because life, being what it is, has always tested us. Even if you're feeling low and beat down by life right now, I guarantee you can think of a time or two when you overcame odds and tasted success. It doesn't have to be a big victory either. It can be something small. So challenge number six, take inventory of your cookie jar, crack your journal open again, write it all out. Remember, this is not some breezy stroll through your personal trophy room. Don't just write down your achievement hit list. Include life obstacles you've overcome as well, like quitting smoking or over. Overcoming depression or a stutter. And in those minor tasks, you failed earlier in life, but tried again a second or third time and ultimately succeeded. Feel what it was like to overcome the struggles, those opponents, and win. Then get to work. Set ambitious goals before each workout and let those past victories carry you to new personal bests. And here's one of my biggest critiques of the book is that. This all becomes about like physical endurance. And it feels like this ghostwriter, Adam, did a good job of saying, oh, here's how you can apply this lesson to like work or an office setting or whatever. But really, it just he spends hours upon hours describing races like this race, that marathon, this Hurt 100, this obstacle course. It's like it really doesn't feel like it applies to everybody, just like endurance athletes. So chapter seven. And there's only 10, so we're doing great. Chapter 7, the most powerful weapon. If you want to hear hours of someone describing running, then this chapter is for you. I don't. David describes his experiences at the Las Vegas Marathon and the Hurt 100, which is, a, which is another 100-mile race in Hawaii, and all the lessons he learned. Here's the big takeaway from this chapter. The 40% rule and the governor. Um. So a governor is something that places a ceiling on a car's performance. Do you know this? Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Um, So according to Goggins, like a car with a governor that places a ceiling on the car's performance, we too have a governor that impedes us from reaching our true potential. That's your
0: uh, upper limit
1: problem. Ooh, thank you. He says our governor is buried deep in our minds, intertwined with our very identity. It knows what and who we love and hate. It's read our whole life story and forms the... Uh, And forms the way we see ourselves and how we'd like to be seen. It's the software that delivers personalized feedback in the form of pain and exhaustion, but also fear and insecurity. And it uses all of that to encourage us to stop before we risk it all. But here's the thing. It doesn't have absolute control. Unlike the governor in an engine, ours can't stop us unless we buy into its bullshit and agree to quit. Mm. And he also talks about the 40 percent rule. So he says... We are all leaving money on the table without realizing it. We habitually settle for less than our best at work, in school, in our relationships, playing field of a race, course, etc. Sadly, most of us give up when we've only given around forty percent of our maximum effort. Oh, Even fuck? when come we up feel that
0: fucking number, fuck you, David. I- it
1: was during a race. <clears throat> Even when we feel like we've reached our absolute limit, we still have sixty percent more to give. Six. It's simply a matter of stretching your pain tolerance, letting go of your identity and all your self-limited stories so you can get to 60 percent, then 80 percent and beyond without giving up. I call this the 40 percent rule. And the reason it's so powerful is that if you follow it, you will unlock your mind to new levels of performance and excellence in sports and in life. And your rewards will run far deeper than mere material success. I'd really like him to apply that rule to therapy. I know. The only way to move beyond your 40% is to callous your mind day after day, which means you'll have to chase pain like it's your damn job. Challenge number seven. So I think it was basically this concept where he felt like he was maxing out, but then if he imagined he was only at 40%, he could, like, trick himself into thinking he had more to give.
0: Yeah, I'm sure. Running on broken legs, he needed that.
1: Listen, the shit that goes on during – and he talks about how his first ultra marathon race was more pain than he'd ever experienced, more than health, weak, et cetera. It's crazy. The main objective here is, so this is challenge number seven. The main objective here is to slowly start to remove the governor from your brain. There's so much pain and suffering involved in physical challenges that it's the best training to take command of your inner dialogue and the newfound mental strength and confidence you gain by continuing to push yourself physically will carry over to other aspects in your life. The bottom line is that life is one big mind game. The only person you are playing against is yourself. Chapter eight is called Talent Not Required and it is more descriptions of races. I it's don't, too I don't much. Hear
0: it. What's the big takeaway?
1: Uh, uh so basically that his work ethic is the single most important factor in all of his accomplishments. I agree. He says To me, a 40-hour work week is a 40% effort. It may be satisfactory, but that's another word for mediocrity. Don't settle for a 40-hour work week. There are 168 hours in a week. That means you have the hours to put in that extra time at work without skimping on your exercises or or anything else you want to do. It means streamlining your nutrition, spending quality time with your wife and kids. It means scheduling your life like you're on a 24-hour mission every single day, which goes Against so many books we've read that talk about radical downtime and balance and self-reflection, which he doesn't allow himself to do basically at any point.
0: Apparently just in his journal when he writes down that he's fat. So I know. So challenge number eight,
1: schedule it in. It's time to compartmentalize your day. Too many of us have become multitaskers and that's this created a nation of half-asses. did a
0: fucking amazing job.
1: Yeah, he really did. Um, So he says most people waste four to five hours on a given day, which, you know, screen time reports are very jarring. Uh, And if you can learn to identify and utilize those extra hours, you'll be on your way toward increased productivity. Uh, He talks about building an optimal schedule, lock everything into place in 15 to 30 minute blocks. Like this is basically just about regimenting the shit out of yourself. Make notes with timestamps. You may still find some residual dead space, blah, 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 blah.
0: But no. here's I no. know
1: I know so no. here's the thing there and I'm a highly scheduled person as we've alluded I'm to. I'm a creative. Yes. I can't. No, but here's the thing. Well, I mean, you could do that thing. Uh, uh, which one was it that gave us all those mini challenges? Oh, get your life together, ish, where you just sort of like look toward the week ahead and build a schedule from there from whatever's
0: coming up. Yeah, but I can't do it in fifteen and thirty minute increments.
1: No, 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 no. no. You can't. But uh, he doesn't address how important it is to have an Unscheduled day where you just wake up and do what you feel like he's doing. He's not interested in that. He doesn't know the value of it, quite frankly.
0: No, he, he doesn't.
1: He's terrified of not being busy. Right. So chapter nine, uncommon against uncommon. So even though David had now been a Navy SEAL and had served a few tours, he decided wanna, on, to join the Army Ranger back. program. I don't know
0: what he's terrified of. I don't know. I can't speak to other people's feelings. Oh,
1: he's t- he's terrified that he really is a nobody. In his heart of hearts. He's terrified that he, he deserved that? all the abuse. Oh, he talks about how he was running just on insecurity and he had to prove himself to the world. Like, he's very open about that.
0: Well, I'm I just, see a scared little boy at every step of this, this book. Just, I mean, it, again, it's, it's written for one kind of person. And it's yeah. not in- inclusive or intersectional. And then not that it's a person of color's job to be intersectional. But I do find... <laughs> that people who have been marginalized yeah. tend to speak to more individuals. Yeah. And I'm so disappointed that he isn't.
1: Yeah. I mean, he, he does talk about several times, like the racism he experienced, how that was an obstacle he had to overcome. He talks about um, being the only, he has this chapter on like being, uh, or this part of a chapter. He often, was the only African American elite forces soldier
0: in any given yeah, situation.
1: I mean I guess but what
0: I'm hearing is that the answer is just push yourself, push yourself, push yourself, push yourself. It's not putting any accountability. It's yeah. it's victim blaming and that well, I am the one who has to fix it. Well, do it. you know
1: what this reminds me of? All self-help books written by women about dating that are just like here's how to play into the patriarchal structures, exactly. right? It's exactly that. So Yeah, it makes me sad. Me too. Me too. So he says, "Be uncommon." So he decides uh, to join the Army Ranger program as a whole new challenge, still right? with all of these injuries. Yep. And he'd been a Navy SEAL for how many tours now, et cetera. So he describes that experience in full detail. So many details, you guys. So be uncommon among the uncommon, right? So when it comes to mindset, it be doesn't a unicorn matter. Unicorn among zebras. That's it. Yeah. So it doesn't matter where other people's attention lies. Have your own uncommon standards to live up to don't let your desire for comfort rule you. Always be willing to embrace ignorance and become the dumb fuck in the classroom again, because that is the only way to expand your body of knowledge and body of work. It's the only way to expand your mind. I actually really love this. So he talks about how when he went into army ranger school, they stripped everyone of titles, rank, experience. Everybody was in the same uniform and they all started as cadets again. And he loved that. And The way they say to apply this to life is like, okay, cool. Are you like a top CEO and your business is doing great? Go learn a new language. Go be a student as like
0: a guitar, you know. I don't disagree that there's value in challenging yourself. And as adults, we don't give ourselves permission to suck at something.
1: Yes. So he's saying like, dare to suck. Could he have picked up the trombone?
0: Yeah, I know. Or did he need to risk Physical injury again. Yeah.
1: No, but that's his own personal thing. He really does. And it's pain. Yeah. (laughs) It's pain and not feeling your feelings, honestly. So he says we can't control all the variables in our lives. It's about what we do with opportunities revoked or presented to us that determine how a story ends. So challenge number nine. Um, a lot of people think that once they reach a certain level of status, respect, or success that they've made it in life. I'm here to tell you that you always have to find more. Greatness is not something that if you meet it once, it stays with you forever. That shit evaporates like a flash of oil in a hot pan, to which I say, that's not true. And practicing contentment and mindfulness is so powerful. Because guess what? It didn't matter what the fuck David Goggins accomplished. He never felt like he had enough. He always came from a place of scarce- scarcity. He was often alone personal relationships falling apart where's the meaning of life in that right so i say practicing gratitude and mindfulness and contentedness wherever you are is more powerful and honestly maybe the scarier thing to do So if you truly want to become uncommon amongst the uncommon, it will require sustaining greatness for a long period of time. It requires staying in constant pursuit and putting out unending effort. This may sound appealing, but will require everything you have to give and then some. Torch the complacency you feel gathering around you, your coworker, and teammates in that rare air. Continue to put obstacles in front of yourself because that's where where you'll find the friction that will help you grow even stronger. Before you know it, you will stand alone. Chapter 10, last chapter, The Empowerment of Failure. This chapter discusses the empowerment of failure as experienced by the author. So firstly, he failed Delta Selection, which is this very – I mean it all blurred together, but it's this very, very elite special forces group. And he had failed the first time due to an injury and then did it all over again. And he was almost done. He was the top of his class, and he was just daydreaming about his imminent graduation the next day. And he went way off course and got kicked out, like completely kicked out of Special Forces. Um, He was let go of the program because a daydreamer was too much of a risk on the battlefield. Additionally, David failed a second time while attempting to break a Guinness World Record for push-ups. The failure was super public, like on the Today Show, and it was being broadcast live to millions of viewers across the United States. So um, he talks about failure is just a stepping stone to future success. In life, there is no gift as overlooked or inevitable as failure, which I completely agree with. Learn to relish your failures because if you do the forensics, you'll find clues about where to make adjustments and how to eventually accomplish your tasks. Uh, Most people prefer delusion. They blame others or bad luck or chaotic circumstances. So challenge number 10, think about your most recent and your most heart-wrenching failures. Break out that journal one last time. I, I listened to this
0: book. What? I listen to this book. You do? What no, do you that's my failure I listen to Oh, this that's
1: book. the failure. Oh, thank you. Okay. Log off the digital version and write them out longhand. I want you to feel this process because you're about to follow your own belated after action reports, which is a military term. First off, write out all the good things. Listen, you log your failures, okay? And then you make a list of the things that you can fix and you study them and you schedule another attempt as soon as possible at the thing you failed at. All right ah so you own it you own your failures the very last chapter is called what if so david's body finally starts really breaking down after years of this extreme abuse oh he also had heart surgery twice because he was doing all this with a hole in his heart and he like ran 10 miles the morning of his heart surgery it's not listen okay okay No doctors could figure out what was wrong with him. So finally, his body's truly breaking down. He's on disability in the military. He's not allowed to do anything. This is the first time he actually has to take time off of everything. No running, no nothing. And he has time to reflect on his accomplishments for the first time in his life. And he found healing through a regimen of specialized stretching. And he talks about his spirituality here. So he
0: wasn't completely still.
1: Yeah, he was – yeah, because he was like really badly not Mm -hmm. able to move. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. We are all our own worst haters and doubters because self-doubt is a natural reaction to any bold attempt to change your life for the better. You can't stop self-doubt from blooming in your brain, but you can neutralize it and all the external chatter by asking, what if? What if is an exquisite fuck you to anyone who has ever doubted your greatness or stood in your way. It silences negativity. It's a reminder that you don't really know what you're capable of until you put everything you've got on the line. It makes the impossible feel at least a little more possible. What if is the power and permission to face down your darkest demons, your very worst memories, and accept them as a part of your history. If and when you do that, you will be able to use them as fuel to envision the most audacious, outrageous achievement and go get it. So that that is an insanely brief overview of Can't Hurt Me, Master Your Mind, and Defy the Odds by David Goggins. Thank you so much, Misty.
0: Did this book need to be written? <sighs> mm, I don't think
1: so. Okay. I mean, me, to, to understand the—you know what? I think it did need to be written— As an example of the extremes a person can go to if they do not get the mental help that they need to deal with past trauma. Great. And by the way, really quickly, I just want to say, if you want to learn more or mm -hmm. buy the book, you can go to DavidGoggins.com. Great. Great. That'll be in the show notes. Yeah. Um, uh, What did this author get right? Okay. Uh, I liked that he was very transparent about how much he got paid as an Navy SEAL, mm-hmm. about what he got for the book deal. Um, I really liked the inside peaks about that. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because ultimately the book was him being vulnerable mm-hmm. because he does say, "Here's where I felt really weak. This was is what was going on in my mind. I was running all the, I was getting all these trophies, and I was just feeling like a nobody." And so. It's weird how it's a mixture of toxic masculinity and vulnerability. But Mm. there were moments of vulnerability. What did he get wrong? Uh, The misogyny. Mm -hmm. I hated that so much. And I I think he got a lot wrong. Mm -hmm. I made a quick list. Okay. I didn't like that he literally talks for hours in detail about race injury after race injury and like I've said before, citing this wildly dangerous, disordered, extreme dysfunctional behavior and glorifying it for like an hour in the chapter and then very briefly being like, I'm not saying to do that because that, I mean, I was just crazy back then. And it's like, well, then why are you presenting this as a path forward, right? Um uh, it's just really confusing. It. <laughs> he also uh, jumps around time wise in the book. Like suddenly he was an ultra marathon runner, and I didn't understand that he graduated the Navy SEALs yet, or that was after he was a Navy SEAL. And then he goes back to when he was in Air Force the first time, and it was just very confusing. And as I sit here, I still don't know entirely how to apply the lessons from the book to my life, except really in like a physical training perspective. Okay. Um and yeah dude okay. last uh last but not least fucking hated this always push yourself to the edge mentality like where is the balance where's the slowness the wholeheartedness yeah, right yeah. like the whole thing
0: felt really really extreme um. He just needs therapy so badly. I mean, and this is obviously just 100% woo-woo-wanda. <laughs> you know what? There. It's
1: actually both because it's so much about mind games and the things he describes okay. or he uses metaphors for other things. I would say it's 70% Practical Patty,
0: Yeah, Practical right.
1: Pat, and 30% woo-woo. Who is this book perfect for? This book is uh, perfect for people who are interested in the armed forces – Right, people who want a hyper masculine, misogynistic view into self help. Thank you. And athletes training for extreme events. Who is this book terrible for? Besides me, young men. Mm-hmm. I think it's so. I th- I think what would have been, in my opinion, healthier and more helpful, is this example of the super tough dude. If he'd come at it and said, "Hey." Here's my story of the last 20 years, and let me tell you how that didn't serve me. Like, he even talks about how he alienated everybody in the Navy SEALs. He didn't have a brotherhood. He ultimately left because everyone was like, you're always... Acting like you're mad at us and against us and you don't hang out with us after hours. He's like, I'm taking your fucking soul. Yeah, exactly. And it's like it's like it feels like it would have been so powerful for a dude to be like, I'm not afraid to love. Now I see the value in slowness. I destroyed myself like that would have if this had been the aftermath part, I think it actually could be really helpful And giving young men the permission to say, "I don't have to do, be this hypermasculine." That'll dude. be the
0: sequel. I, you can't hurt me. I hurt myself. Yeah. Uh, okay, Misty. Thank you for taking us through that. Thank you for tolerating my outright tantrums throughout this thank book. Thank you
1: for holding space and listening to this because it's not easy to listen to. Mm-hmm. And you there to are, and we hours will record that trigger warning. Which, as you're listening to this, you listeners have already heard. Um, but I I don't want to give you homework because the only homework I could give you is like, cool, go run a hundred mile race that you've never prepared for. No. You know what I mean? So I don't yeah. I don't want to do Okay. Thank yeah. you. If you wanted to, you could identify something that you know is good for you that you haven't done like unloading the dishwasher. <laughs> And seeking out that thing, yeah. you know, yeah. because of discomfort or whatever and yeah. doing it. But that's that's very much like a Mel Robbins sort of five four three two one yeah. idea. Yeah. So that's it. We're gonna let y'all off the hook. Thank after you. This. Thank you. We're done. And let let me know what you think of this book because um my friend Kevin who recommended it to me, it seemed like it really resonated with him. So if you've heard this and I'm missing something, write us. Go help yourself podcast Please at gmail.com. Tell us. We wanna
0: know. Um With that, thank you so much, Misty.
1: May your um, military Navy SEAL qualifications be... Abundant! Abundant!